Shrinkwrap Radio number 794. Omar Reda, M.D., on The Wounded Healer, The Pain and Joy of Caregiving. And now it's time for Dr. Dave and Shrinkwrap Radio. You're on the couch again with Dr. Dave. And Shrinkwrap Radio is playing on again. Yeah. It's all in your head. It's all in your head. Shrink Rap Radio. Shrink Rap Radio. Shrink Rap Radio. Shrink Rap Radio. It's Shrink Rap Radio. All the psychology you need to know and just enough to make it dangerous, it's all in your head. And now here's your host, Dr. Dave. Are you a caregiver? There's a strong likelihood that most of us will have been or will be caregivers at one or more points in our lives. Sometimes the act of caregiving can become traumatizing, especially if you're a caregiver for trauma victims. Omar Reda, MD, a psychiatrist with extensive experience in trauma treatment, calls upon healthcare workers, parents, teachers, first responders, and community leaders who may be grappling with their own trauma to break free from cycles of secrecy toxic stress, and silent suffering so they can continue to empower and inspire those in their care. Now, here's the interview. Dr. Omar Reda, welcome to Shrinkwrap Radio. Thank you, David. It's an honor to be with you. Well, likewise, and we're going to be discussing your book, The Wounded Healer, The Pain and Joy of Caregiving, but before we get into that, I'm just so interested in your background, your life, etc. And um, so maybe you can give us your personal backstory, if you will. Sounds good. Yeah, I wrote the book mainly because of my own personal encounters with trauma uh, since a very early age. So what introduced me to the medical field was when my sister, who was only 14, uh, she died of brain cancer. I was only six year old at the time, but wow. I decided to pursue medicine and I did very good in medical school. I thought I'm going to be a brain surgeon, but every time I go to the OR, I end up fainting on the floor. So so after I fainted a number of times, they told me maybe I should look for another branch of medicine other than surgery. And uh, I became an emergency room physician and I really liked working in the ER. But I was very attracted to listening to people's trauma stories. So not only their visible wounds, mainly the invisible wounds. And then my home country, Libya, went through a civil war in 2011. And I found myself going back and forth to refugee camps and war-affected areas. And uh, went through the Harvard program and refugee trauma. I got trained on how to take care of people who survived number of uh, traumatic experiences, not only as individuals, but also families and communities. Yeah, that's great shorthand, a description of a very eventful life that you've had. And 
Um, I'm trying to remember, were you in Libya as a small child? I've sort of forgotten some of the main ingredients. When the bombing happened, and and so your life kind of started out with trauma, if I recall correctly. Is that right? Is this uh, 1986, uh, the bombing? Uh, yeah, d- during the time of President Reagan, and there was a conflict between him and Colonel Gaddafi, who was... Uh, yes the man of Libya, and I was only 13 years old at the time. I remember sleeping through <laughs> the whole episode, but my mom was uh, the only one awake, and she decided to keep the children asleep because she said, if we die, there was no need to die in panic, and we're going to all go to heaven. And So uh, my mom has been my anchor. I, I lost my mom recently, like in 2016, but uh, she is the reason why I do the humanitarian work that I do, and very recently, after the pandemic, I, I have noticed that trauma is not only something that happens to our clients, but uh, it, our clients' stories can trigger our own trauma. So that's why I have seen many of my colleagues, you know, doctors, nurses, social workers, and so on. They either leave the field or they start to self-medicate their trauma using substance, or some of them, unfortunately, die by suicide. That's what ignited my passion to write The Wounded Healer. Yeah, wow. You know, speaking of, of that, I wondered if if the current Ukraine war was is a trigger for, has been a trigger for you. I would think that that would revive your own experiences as a child. Yeah, I, mean, I would say it's very unfortunate that we are witnessing this in the year 2022 and um, I, you know, it's just very sad when humans don't stop the cycle of violence. And, you know, the, my, my previous book is called Untangled because I noticed, you know, many children and families and caregivers and even communities, they are tangled in the web of trauma. So in order to break the cycle, it has to stop at one of us. We need to make a deliberate decision to take care of our future generations. So, yes, I mean, I have been... Um, very upset about the recent events. I think going through the Harvard program of refugee trauma and learning some skills and tools and also visiting the refugee camps has been helpful in my own healing. Yes, yes. So um, did you say you were 13 when the bombing happened? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm of an age that I remember that period. And... Uh, and uh, so did you come to this country originally as a refugee or did, did your parents, you know, how did you get over here? Yeah, I mean, I was working as an emergency room physician. Uh, I did about three years of ER work. Uh, it was the year 1999. And then I came back home one day and I was uh, surprised to find my father who uh, was standing in front of the door. He gave me some cash and he said, you have to immediately leave the country because I was involved in humanitarian activities, taking care of uh, orphans and widows. And um, I was labeled as somebody who was not wanted by uh, the government. Yes. So I ended up uh, boarding a boat and crossing the Mediterranean Sea and becoming an asylum seeker in the United Kingdom. But I came to the United States uh, because my wife was a Libyan-American. We met in Scotland. So huh. I came as an immigrant here. Okay, what a what a uh, international life you have been mm-hmm. leading. Uh, you actually head up, you know, with these wonderful credentials that you have, not only 
coming out of trauma, of course, having experienced trauma is not wonderful. But at the same time, it provided you with uh, an important experience that would guide the rest of your life. And, uh, you know, to work against this sort of thing and to create a, um, a humanitarian organization, would it be right to call it a charity? Or uh, and tell us the name. I want to go into your current work a bit. Yeah, thank you. I, I think it's not the, you know, in spite of the trauma, but because of the trauma, that I think people will gain growth and wisdom and resilience and yes. they discover, you know, inner coping skills and they become wounded healers. There's nothing wrong about being wounded. We continue to heal others despite our own wounds, but uh, of course within boundaries and we need to make sure that we take care of our own needs. So I created, uh, you know, a project called Untangled and uh, through a number of activities like education, training, supervision, consultation, building resources and clinical services and so on, play and art therapy, safe spaces, uh, has been extremely successful. We started the program in 2018 and I have replicated the model uh, in the United States and, and many other countries. Very recently, of course, I am designing the Wounded Healer Project where I like to do the same healing work with my colleagues. Yeah, it's uh, there's a documentary film uh, about your work that that I saw. Unfortunately, I didn't see it today or yesterday, so my, that's why my mind is it's not totally clear. But how can people find that? Is it short enough that you can say uh, where they can find that uh, film? Yeah, I mean there are a number of activities and documentaries that were done uh, have been you know very to get uh, exposure to different organizations and cooperation with number of uh, resettlement agencies and so on. So yes, uh, they are available on YouTube using my name, just Omar, and you can find um, with the refugees, with the uh, untangled, and also my current work with the members. Okay. Is there something like called untangled.org or um, untangled.com where people can find your work? Yes, yeah, so projectunt.org. Untangledproject.org? Project Untangled. Projectuntangled.org. Okay. Normally I do this kind of thing at the end of the interview, but I didn't want it to get away from us. Uh, I just think that the work that you're doing is, is so important and so exemplary. <coughs> and in many ways, I think your book is about burnout for trauma caregivers. And, uh, so I wondered if if you yourself experienced burnout at any point or if you felt on the edge of burnout and if that was part of the motivation for the book. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, we go through stages. So before we completely burn out, we go through compassion fatigue and trauma and toxic stress, especially if you work in an environment that's not conducive for healing. But uh, I mean, I had my own version of uh, PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, and uh, going not only through the displacement process from my home country, but also coming to the United States in 2002 as a uh, Libyan, Arab, and Muslim man, uh, and found a leading from September 11. So I became 
of uh, the healing through interfaith dialogue and combating hate. And I was very privileged to write chapters in a book, Islamophobia and Psychiatry, and another book called Anti-Semitic and Psychiatry, because uh, to break the cycle, really, yes. and not buy into the divisive messages. Yes. I hope we don't lose our connection. I, I notice uh, the audio is a little bit broken uh, on your side. If we get disconnected, we'll just come back and get reconnected and go from there, okay? Okay. <clears throat> so I can see that uh, your own... Uh, history with trauma and with organizations and your own uh, uh, experience with uh, feeling burnout happening. And um, and yet in your book and in the introduction to it, you are very clear about that you don't want this, the focus of your book is not going to be to rehearse all the, the negatives that are well known about PTSD and so on but that you want your book to be about joy and also that your book is written as intended as a resource for people who are working as caregivers, primarily with, uh, with people suffering trauma, but I think it's applicable to many other situations where people are caregivers for uh, dying parents or all sorts of situations. And uh, so when I first encountered it, and you, and you know, I said, "Oh, the book's going to be a resource," and I wondered, "Well, resource? What does that mean?" But as I went on, I have to say, your book is a resource. <laughs> you really, you really delivered on that because it's got just tons of uh, of uh, concrete, specific advice for for a wide range of. Uh, of situations and for self-care, different kinds of self-care, self-healing scenarios, and lots of bullet lists. <laughs> so, that, so there really are resources that if people are feeling like they're dealing with one thing or another, somewhere in there they're going to find a, a section, a bullet list, etc., that uh, that will help them through, and so that intention I, is really there throughout the book, and and you really deliver on that. Thank you. So, what are the challenges for caregivers, especially those working with trauma? Yeah, there are many, and I think the book I try to write it with every single drop of my soul. So I put uh, all of my love for this field. And uh, to be a caregiver is not only the healthcare system. We are talking also about teachers and parents and first responders, community and faith leaders and many others. So, yes, I mean, uh, working with people can be extremely traumatic, especially if the people are going through their own trauma. And we spend the day listening to very painful stories. That's why I like to focus not only on the details of the trauma, but also how did they survive, uh, their coping, their resilience, uh, what did they learn from the experience, and together how are they coping in the here and now, and what are their hopes for the future. And uh, that's why I think I intentionally divided the book into four chapters, 
we have pain and joy when we work with clients and their families, but also we can bring trauma to our own families. So it's very important not to forget our loved ones in the process. The third chapter is about uh, systems that we work within that can either crush our soul or revive them. And the final chapter, which can be the most difficult one, how to sit uh, with our own wounds and nurse our own trauma and make sure that we take care of our needs. Yes, and the, all of those uh, sections of the book are, are uh, really important. And um, <clears throat> there's just so much uh, wisdom in the book. I want to let people know that. Um, so you've mentioned something about the challenges. Uh, on the other hand, what are the positive rewards of uh, of being a caregiver? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I would have never been the man I am, either as a doctor, or as a father, or as a spouse, if I did not go through my own trauma, and also if I did not specialize in the field of psychiatry. That's why I always brag that uh, psychiatry is the most beautiful field of medicine. Uh -huh. I, I think because it's not only a science, it's also an art. And we, the art of yeah. dealing with other humans, even though can be very traumatic, even though humans can inflict pain and suffering on each other, but also humans are capable of uh, lots of healing one another. So our wounds happen in relational context, our healing should also happen within a relationship. So, uh, yes, I mean, uh, lots of growth and wisdom happen because of my own personal trauma, but also because of my professional background. Yes. Uh, good to hear you putting in a positive word for uh, psychiatry. Often it gets a bad <laughs> bad rap, as I'm sure you know. Um, so one of the ways that you said about writing this book that impressed me is that you conducted research among your colleagues who are working in in your organization and I guess other organizations around issues relating to trauma. Uh, tell us about this uh, research that you went through. What, who did you research and, and uh, how did you go about it? I mean, uh, in order to really be authentic when you write something, you have to sit down with the local community that you are writing about. So I'm, I'm trying to write about my colleagues who are caregivers. So I ask them one question, really, which is, uh, what do you want to see in a book that's written about you? Yeah. And I had, I had very wonderful answers. Uh, one of the nurses, she said, I, I want people to know that we love and receive love differently. Sometimes I, I am incapable of loving my family or I'm quite depleted or I show my love in certain ways where I am, uh, you know, under pressure or completely burned out. So in order to understand the caregiver, and there are many, many uh, angles on how to do that, but basically I asked them about the impact of caregiving on their body, their psyche, their mind, their heart, their soul, and uh, on their relationship with their loved ones, but also uh, did like working with traumatized population activate their own trauma. That's why we mentioned a little bit uh, childhood experiences that can be traumatic, that can be triggered when we listen to trauma of others. 
Yeah, I love the way that you you went about that, and uh, and you got a lot of rich results. I think by asking those questions, which gave you uh, probably helped to build those lists there in the book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so much there, and you talk. I, think about, I was like, uh, pardon, say maybe, that. Yeah, maybe I was uh, in a way a co-author. You know, my I wrote this book with many many of my colleagues too volunteered their answers and opened their hearts and souls to give me the wisdom that they learned. So that's why I, I said I wrote this book with you, for you, and about you. Yeah, nice, nice. And you talk about the cost of not caring. Mm -hmm. well, I mean, give us uh, a few words about that. It is, like, uh, quite complicated if you... Uh, really do this as a, just a job. If you lose the soul of why we came to this beautiful field, then you basically will function as a robot or a, as a zombie and you don't have much compassion for the people that you care for. And you might, uh, you know, do that also around your loved ones who they grow up very quickly. Our children, they grow up quickly and sometimes we focus on their materialistic needs and try to provide only money for them, when we forget they have emotional needs too. That's what I call the, you know, losing the American dream, chasing it. Our children need every as aspect of us as their parents. So I, I worry that if we don't pay attention to really becoming deliberate and intentional in our care for our patients, but also outside our places of uh, employment, with our loved ones, our communities, our neighbors, humanity at large, then we might really do damage for one another and continue the cycle. Yeah, and you're a father, you're married, and you're a father, you're a family man, so uh, so you know something about that, <laughs> about, about the challenges, and the challenges of uh, raising an American family in this time and place, and the emphasis on materialism, and and uh, and a lot of superficial stuff. Kids get uh, bombarded with superficiality compared to the issues that you've chosen to deal with in your life. And uh, you know you haven't turned your your face away from the challenges that are confronting us. You're facing them straight on. Um, how have you been able, since we're talking about your family, how have you been able to uh, to deal with that with your own with your own kids? I mean, you cannot afford to turn away from your children, and they grow up very quickly, and they are, you know, very very precious, and they are a trust that we need to take care of them. The most precious thing that were given to us by God as uh, our children. And I, I think in order to provide a better world for them, we need to break the cycle. So I have three daughters and oh. part of uh, providing safety for them is to tell them every day that uh, this is a safe house. We have an open door policy and uh, becoming very intentional in how to keep an eye contact and, uh, you know, close your cell phone and any social media when they come with questions or when they want to talk to you. They are the most important person in the room. 
and uh, just uh, practicing safe touch and open communication and that will eventually build trust and safety in the household and make them remember you as a, a safe father. And uh, that's the most important thing I want my girls to remember about me when I am gone. Wow. Well, I, I've got four kids. I have uh, three sons and a daughter. Uh, they're all adults now. And, and I'm proud of them. They're all doing well and standing on their own feet. And... Um, and seven grandchildren. So, so I really resonate with what you're saying about the 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 gifts that our child children are. Because uh, I didn't always appreciate that fully as a young man, but as I've gotten to be more older and hopefully more mature, uh, they really are precious to us. And uh, so I totally resonate with what you're saying. And of course, you you write about the necessity of self care, and, and that's sort of throughout the book and uh, many of the lists. And so, say a bit about self care and its importance. I mean, in a way, it seems obvious, but still, sometimes it needs to be said. Absolutely. I mean, I think the field most of the time uh, focuses on our body needs, which are very important. Our biological need, our physical needs. But remember, David, I mean, we are not only made up of a body, we also have a heart and soul and mind. So we need to be kind towards our body through, you know, sleep hygiene and eating healthy and exercise, doing the breathing exercises, and all of that. But also we need to really pay attention to our mind by not engaging in self-loathing language, by challenging negative thoughts by entertaining, you know, positive dialogue with ourselves. Uh, taking care of our heart usually happens in a relational context. So making sure you have a, a psychosocial support network, people that care about you and you care about them. And I think that pandemic has shown that most of our healing will happen in a relational context. We, we need yes. one another. We need to connect in order to heal. And also our soul, whatever high power you believe in, uh, just attach yourself with a, a spirituality. And if you practice a, a religion or a faith, that's okay too. So taking care of all of our aspects. And because sometimes we go on a vacation, we take time off, but we come back to work very depleted. That's, I believe, because we only focus on the body. We don't mm -hmm. engage the mind or the heart or the soul. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As someone who came from a Muslim country, in your caregiving, you've had to deal with anger and resentment directed at you, even though you were there as a caregiver, and many of the people that you work with have to deal with that. Um, how do you deal with that? I mean, most people, they come from a place of misunderstanding. So hurt people, hurt people. That's why I think healed people will heal people as well. That's why I focus on the healing. So whenever somebody faces me with the hostility or they have a negative language to use against me or my wife or children because of the way we dress or, uh, you know, chose to practice our religion, I become curious rather than furious. <laughs> so I try to understand where they're coming from. And most of the time, just there was a miscommunication. Once we find common ground, uh, most of this will go away. 
Yeah, clearly they don't know you <laughs> when, uh, because I'm experiencing you right here and now, and uh, uh, you come across as a warm and, and wonderful human being and uh, very valuable. I liked your your powerful words when you when you're talking about negative uh, negative self talk. People talk about negative self talk, but you said negative self loathing. <laughs> It's really a powerful way to say it, but I think it's very accurate too. Mm-hmm. You know, loathing is not a a word that we use a lot in in our everyday American English, but uh, but it powerfully expresses the the viciousness that we can bring to ourselves uh, coming from judgments that we have maybe got from our parents or aspects of the culture or our sense of uh, failing and not living up to our full potential. Everybody deserves uh, compassion, even if they hate your guts. Just um, People need second chances or third chances or hundred chances. And m- m- most of us, when we sit on the same table, we will understand that we have much in common than what divides us, right. especially when the dialogue starts with, the children playing together or the women doing their activities. And that's why most of uh, my successful projects, both in the United States and abroad, has been uh, through building safe spaces and also engaging in uh, play and art therapy for the community. Yes, that's brilliant. Brilliant. You also talk about bearing witness. And, and tell us about that. How does that come into play? I mean, I think it's not only a privilege, it's actually an honor to be a caregiver. When somebody opens their heart and tells their story, this is the right time for you also to not open only your ears, but also your eyes and your heart and your soul and bear witness. I mean, I remember, if you remember 2019, there was a shooting at a mosque in New Zealand. 51 yes. people died that day during their Friday prayer. Immediately after that, uh, a Jewish uh, colleague who I never met before, he called me and he said, Omar, can we just meet for a cup of coffee? I want to talk to you. I didn't know what this was about. And when he introduced his own trauma story and his family going through the experience of the Holocaust and all of that, he said, Omar, today I don't want to talk about my story. He said, I'm here for you. I want to just listen to you and uh, let you know that I'm bearing witness and I have a safe space if you want to. He, he told me, what do you want today? And I told him, you already provided what I needed today. And we uh, really sat down together despite our uh, different backgrounds and we um, hugged each other and we cried together and we found beauty in our diversity and I think this is what people who hate you they really lose on lots of beauty when they exclude you I mean uh, we are very beautiful because of our diversity we come in different shapes and colors and flavors and Mm -hmm. we add the beauty to the American you know um, dream if we just respect one another and learn how to celebrate each other I love that story that's a beautiful story um, you talk about the need to combat stress, and you mention a 
an approach that you developed that you called the SGP approach to dealing to combating stress. Tell us about that. Do you remember that? Yeah, I mean, it's in your book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to look at that, that chapter. That, uh, I can prompt you. The S yeah. is space, G is yeah, grace, grace, and P is, pay, is peace. Yeah. yeah. It, is, it is space, actually. Yeah, so uh, in order to heal, I think we need to provide space, offer grace, and also respect space of how people, uh, you know, present their stories and how they want to heal. So I, I just want to also focus that when we respect each other pace of healing, we should not be intrusive, but also we should not be neglectful. So if I am uh, going through my own trauma and I decided to uh, shut down, it is okay to respect my boundaries for a while, but if I continue to live in a cave and not come out of that cave and I using lots of self-loathing language or behavior, it is the time to check on one another without being intrusive. So in order to, you know, provide a trauma-informed approach, I think we need to really make sure that we provide safe space for one another, have lots of grace for each other's stories, and also meet people where they are within reason. So if somebody is shutting down completely, they might be now moving towards suicidal thoughts and behaviors and uh, we have lost enough colleagues for suicide. That's why I am very vocal about this point. And mm -hmm. That's why I wrote this book. Uh -huh. You talk about the therapeutic power of listening, and the story that you just shared with us also definitely illustrates that. Um, of, of listening is so important. I like the way in the story that you told that he briefly trust, touched on his trauma, but then shifted it to you. And I was recently, uh, somebody else I interviewed had talked about uh, uh, compassion and, um, and, and how to respond compassionately, em empathy, expressing empathy. And... One of the things that stood out for me is that he said it's not helpful when you say, oh, I, I know how you feel. I went through X, Y, Z myself. And he says, no, you don't know how they feel <laughs> because we're all different and we all have a different experience. And uh, so it's important to listen and encourage them to bring out their story so that you can understand their unique experience and give them the gift, the, the healing gift of listening. And that made a big impact on me, and you're reminding me of that right now. Yeah, I and mean, every story is unique, and every story is worth listening to. So if somebody brings their own trauma, and I cannot say, oh, your trauma is insignificant compared to what I went through. Uh, their suffering is real. If I don't even agree with their a viewpoint, I can at least agree that they are struggling or suffering, and I can look at that with compassion. Yes, yes. Well, I think you've written a beautiful book and that you've succeeded in providing a resource which you set out to do. And as I say, there's a lot of wisdom and humanity and soul in the book that you've written.
So I wonder if there's anything else that you'd like to say here that uh, that hasn't come out yet. I mean, uh, even though the book was written because I am a psychiatrist and I work in a hospital, uh, it is not only written for doctors and nurses, even though uh, these are very, very important heroes, especially at the time of the pandemic. I also want to remind all of us that we are caregivers in different capacities. So if you are a parent or a teacher or community leader or faith leader or first responder, this book is also written for you and about you. Uh, very important. I want you to take care of yourself in order to be able and have enough energy to take care of everybody else. Yeah, that's a wonderful summation. Uh, Dr. Omar Rada, I want to thank you for being my guest today on Shrinkwrap Radio. It's such a privilege to meet you. Thank you, David. The privilege is mine. First of all, I need to say what a very sweet soul Omar Reda, MD, is. I feel blessed to have had this opportunity to speak with him, even if it had to be via Zoom. And actually, I shouldn't denigrate Zoom because it is and has been a wonderfully effective and easy-to-use tool that has enabled all my podcast interviews over the last couple of years or more. I am so glad to have had this opportunity for Dr. Omar Reda to speak about the challenges of his early life surviving a traumatic American bombing attack on Libya in our government's unsuccessful attempt to kill the Libyan ruler Muammar Gaddafi. Dr. Reda shared with us that he was 13 years old at the time of the bombing in 2011. He told us that he actually slept through the bombing his mother opting not to wake him up and to spare him from the trauma of terror. Nevertheless, it was a traumatizing experience for him and his family, who fled in exile, later immigrating to the UK and later to the US. As Dr. Rada tells it in his bio, after bombing, a group of fighters found him in a tent caring for trauma-surviving children, the fighters indicated that he was needed on the front lines of the fighting. However, he let them know that attending to the psychosocial needs of the children in the tent was indeed his front line. After 12 years in exile, he was able to return to Libya. While the Libyan people's physical wounds were prevalent, their psychological trauma often went unnoticed. Due to the stigma and lack of education, mental health was not typically a focus in Libya. He found that trauma survivors needed psychosocial care. And that set the pattern for his adult life. He went on to receive a master's degree from Harvard University in refugee and global mental health. After completing medical school in Libya and while undergoing extensive training with the University of Tennessee after completing medical school and psychiatric residency. Today, Dr. Reda is a leading expert in psychotraumatology and trauma-informed care, as well as the mental health of Muslims, immigrants, and refugees, the Libyan Revolution, 
and the Arab Spring, and is author of several books and a highly sought-after dynamic public speaker. This leads us to his latest book, The Wounded Healer, The Pain and Joy of Caregiving, which was the focus of our interview. To a large extent, this is a book about burnout among those who work extensively with victims of trauma. It's also a book for such trauma workers on how to prevent burning out and how to recover from it. Even though it's about burnout, he doesn't want to dwell excessively on the well-known negative aspects of it. Instead, he seeks to highlight the gifts, even joys, of being a caregiver. According to Dr. Rada, caring for one another in times of distress is part of our very being, part of our evolutionary history that's gotten us this far. He also wanted this book to be a resource, a compendium of insights gleaned from those who have been in the trenches themselves. I love the way he went about developing this resource. He actually created an interview format and formally collected opinions, experiences, warnings, tips, and so on from a wide variety of colleagues with experience in the trenches. All of that data has found its way into the book in the many curated bullet lists that you'll find throughout the volume. To some extent, we are all victims of trauma, and we all have to deal with our fellow victims in one way or another. Consequently, this might be a book for everyone, regardless of their profession or credentials. Therefore, I'm led to recommend it to you all here. Once again, the title is The Wounded Healer, The Pain and Joy of Caregiving by Omar Reda, M.D., a psychiatrist who's not afraid to speak of heart and soul in all his communications. I also refer you to his website at projectuntangled.com. Also, I urge you to search on YouTube for Dr. Rada Documentary Short, which is described as, quote, a documentary about a Muslim activist, writer, psychiatrist, and leader. Omar brings us on a trip starting from his exile from Libya and ending in his outstanding youth work in the U.S. Close quote. Hi, I'm Amy Fellman, longtime listener of Shrinkwrap Radio. Shrinkwrap Radio is like the best textbook I've ever owned. I've learned so much, I was even inspired to start my own podcast. I recently donated to Dr. Dave to show my gratitude for all the hard work and amazing content that he puts out there for us across the world. I hope that he's able to continue his quest in providing everything we need to know about psychology and just enough to make us dangerous. I encourage you all to do the same. I have to say it feels really good. Thanks again, Dr. Dave. And for all you listeners out there just like me, bite the bullet and donate. Thank you, Amy Fellman from Down Under. Yes, I'm still pitching away thanks to listeners like you. You very substantially helped me to keep the good stuff coming. So now it's time to wrap it up once again. Shrink wrap it up, that is. Thanks to today's remarkable guest, Omar Reda, MD, 
author of The Wounded Healer, The Pain and Joy of Caregiving, and for all the inspiring work he's been doing around the world for years. My next guest will be financial guru Robert Altheus, discussing his own awakening to the lessons of the hero's journey and what he calls never enough-itis. So until then, this is Dr. Dave reminding you to be kind to yourselves and others. You've been shrink-wrapped by Dr. Dave. All the psychology you need to know, and just enough to make you dangerous.